Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about disaster stocks, okay. just situations that just got completely nuked. <laughs> and these are recent... Uh, investments that value investors, people in our community, people we know, talk to, whatever, we're interested in, wanted to talk about, wanted to do all that sort of stuff. This is not like scandals and whatever things or things that growth investors and cannabis mm-hmm. things and stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. So and our sorts of stocks, things that may have been attractive to some people. It, we're, we're, we're doing the whole, all I want to know in my life is where I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So I'll never go there. So we're just going to do a little bit of a postmortem on some of these companies. And some of them aren't dead in before people say survivorship or, you know, hindsight bias and small sample size. We get it. We totally cherry picked it, but we're going to look at them anyway. So let's go over the first company. Our old friend, Entercom Communications Which Corp. Is not dead. No. So this is still ETM. a publicly traded company. What a wild ride this company's been. Yeah, now. so let's look, look at, at the chart. chart. Yeah. So Entercom was written up on our website. Um, we're not going to show the write-ups and stuff because I said we don't want to do things about that when we're doing negative stock things. But uh, a bunch of these were written up on the, the website, and Entercom is one of them. I thought it was fascinating that Intercom, I believe, is the most comments of anything ever written on our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are interested uh, in it. There's very big interest in it. I think it's had interest on discussion boards and things like that, too. Um, it just seems like something that's been talked about a lot. Yeah, so do you want to explain the situation of what Intercom was? Yeah, so Intercom, uh, I believe it was a reverse Mars Trust, I think. Yes. Um, so it was CBS Radio, which is the bigger one, being taken over. Um uh, being taken over uh, by a smaller company, which was family controlled. It's the Fields family, Field family. Yeah. Um, and uh, using a lot of debt, which is typical in radio things. And the, at the point where this happened, the other major radio companies were basically in bankruptcy because of excessive debt at that time. So those were the things coming into it. Uh, it kind of works like a spinoff. So it's sort of like you take part of CBS, spin it off into this smaller company, and then you use a lot of leverage and then you have insiders buying up a lot of the stock in the open market. And so that's the stuff that I think really interested um, people in uh, of the value investor kind of things that we have either because they're like Joel Greenblatt type people or like outsiders type people. Those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that attract them. So it had all those markings of like um, the sorts of things they look for in a big payoff situation. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It has some debt, has you know good free cash flow and stuff. It's a spinoff-like situation, and insiders are buying it up and have big skin in the game and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the chairman and the CEO were both buying in the open market, specifically, though, the chairman. Yeah, and they had um, time purchases in the past in their company well, um, and the, the uh, you had a change in which maybe the CBS radio stations weren't as well run, um, historically, as opposed to Intercom. So those are the things that 
were attractive to people about it. You can see in the size uh, jump there that we have in QuickFS yeah. that they more than doubled the company size, uh, like one and a half times up, just by making this one purchase. Yeah. But if we can look on the balance sheet and stuff, we can give some indications of what that did, though. Um, so if you look, you suddenly had a huge increase in goodwill, obviously, to fund uh, because those are all purchases that don't have any hard backing to the assets because they're just uh, radio stations. And you have this huge increase in debt. The thing that's concerning, obviously, here is the debt thing. So this will this stock could still be an amazing return from here if things work out, obviously, because what's your debt level right now? One point what billion? Uh, one point six billion. Okay, one point six billion. So you have 1.6 billion in debt. You have cash of. We should probably look at the quarter. Do we have the quarterly balance sheet? Yeah, let's yeah. see how up to date this is. Right. June. So we have. Yeah, you have. So what's your current long term debt situation? Yeah, so that doesn't. Here we can 1. pull 8? up. 1.8? Yeah. That's the last one that we had. Yeah, 1.8. Yeah. So 1.8. And then you have uh, 200 million, let's call it, in cash. You, yeah, that's about it. So it's about 1.6 billion. Let's say. Um, even if you said 1.5 billion mm. and then look at the free cash flow situation. Um, now obviously you've had a big, just use cash flow statement. Um, you've had a big decline in advertising this year, which you couldn't have predicted and then go to annual. Um, and so that hits radio particularly hard cause it's an advertiser supported thing. Here's the problem though, that worried me is the cash flow from operations. So not even like CapEx and stuff in it, just cash flow from operations, the actual amount of cash flow that you're generating before you pay anything is just really low versus the amount of debt that you have. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it won't work, but if you're levered like 10 to one or something in terms of like your debt is like 10 times the cash flow that you're getting in, then that could be a problem. Now, what do they have in terms of, we could see EBITDA on the key ratios. Maybe they ha show higher EBITDA than they do cash flow. But I look at the actual cash flow from operations. So EBITDA on a per share basis you have right there. Per share EBITDA is, yeah. So your EBITDA is like, so this just gives you an idea of how levered it is. EBITDA is like $2.30 yep. a share. So you have $2.30 a share in EBITDA and the stock's below that level, right? Mm -hmm. So you're trading at less than one times EBITDA on the equity the problem is the amount of debt, as we said. So, like, the debt um, is about, what, seven, eight times the equity? The current share price for people listening is $1.40. Yeah. So, it's I, th I think at market value, if the if the debt was all at par, um, it would be about seven to eight times more than the market cap. So, to give you an idea of that, like, a change in the enterprise value of, like, you know, 10, yeah, like, you know, 10, 20% moves in the enterprise value are causing the stock to, like, double and things like that, mm -hmm. or have, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's a like stub basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you could see how people would be very interested in that and has big speculative opportunities now if you, you know, if, if you believe in it. I was going to say, so like what would, if you were analyzing this situation seriously, right, what would be the thesis? I wouldn't buy into something that's this levered versus cash flow from operations without being recapitalized. Um, so if you, let's see, uh, go to OTC markets and see if there's any news at all. But, um, you're looking at, uh, nope. Um, so you're looking at, like I said, an incredible amount of debt versus the amount of cash flow that you're generating. To me, it's just not a safe position to be in. And uh, there you say it announces an amendment of its credit agreement. So in July was the last time they talked about something about that, um, that they gave a press release specifically about interest stuff. Uh -huh. And they, so they had new minimum liquidity covenants. Uh, they're allowed to issue some more debt. 
and um, they, you know, have relief from their covenants and stuff. So they won't trip the covenants during um, COVID, mm-hmm. right? But to me, it's just too little cash flow versus debt. Sure. You know, I would need it to be, I mean, honestly, even five times, even if your debt was only five times your cash flow from operations, that would be worrying to me, mm-hmm. especially in a business that you're not sure is going to increase every year and stuff. There's some cyclicality, but also just like, what if radio becomes less popular over time, things like that. So it's just, you know, the equity to me is like an option. It might work out. It might not. If it works out, it might pay off huge, but I just see it as like an option. There's so little equity behind so much debt. Sure. Yeah. Got it. I mean, a lot of these companies have gone into bankruptcy too, right? Like iHeart um, radio yeah. and stuff two, like that. I think at the time, two of their largest competitors were in bankruptcy at the yeah. time. A lot of people were talking about the stock. Yeah. So a lot of heavy use of leverage to do acquisitions. They did borrow a lot of money through an acquisition too. So, and other people have done that. Um, very big borrowings to make acquisitions of other radio stations is basically how this industry has gotten itself into this position. Obviously, there's no need to have debt. Radio stations produce a lot of free cash flow and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's no need to do it except to acquire the radio stations. Sure. So they all over-acquired and ran into that problem. Got it. So we can look at KLXE next. KLXE. KLX Energy Services. Yep. $40 million market cap now. Wow. Mm-hmm. So if we look at this one, we can look at the chart on this one too to give people a good idea. Um, this is a spinoff thing. And again, big, big ownership by insiders. They basically didn't take a salary and stuff. Instead, they took equity participation in it. Um, they had historically done stuff, like rolled up things that had success before. And um, as you can see, what, over the last two years, they're down, um, well, last few years, they're down 90%. They're mm-hmm. down more than 90%. Yeah. Yeah. So there's different ways of measuring that exactly. They're slightly higher than they were, though. Um, you know, they probably, during COVID, were at one point a little bit cheaper than they are now. Mm-hmm. So this isn't their absolute low. Very high beta stock. <laughs> a yeah, lot of share term and stuff. This has been one of the bumpiest rides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their energy services business. It was a spinoff, right? Yep. So it, this is a spinoff from KLXI. Yeah. Um, and Boeing wanted to buy this business, wanted to buy... Uh, an air, aerospace business and didn't want the energy business. Mm-hmm. So the energy business is what's left over. And then they did a further acquisition since then. So mm-hmm. if we go to their news, they had issued some junk bonds and bought more companies in their space. So they've actually grown in size. I think even on a valuation perspective, this company looked kind of interesting from the spinoff, but yeah. you weren't comfortable so with the it's, business. It's looked like cheap two, two to three EBITDA times EBITDA, EBITDA or yeah, something. And it's acquired yeah. other things at a few times EBITDA. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there you see that they did the mergers and stuff. Um, and I, yeah, it made a lot of sense. They borrowed a lot of money to buy a lot of companies in terms of if you're looking at EBITDA. I don't know if... And they came out debt-free as well. Yes, they came out debt-free and then they immediately borrowed a lot to buy things up. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, they got into a situation that like financially is tough for them. So if we look at balance sheet, we can go to balance sheet and then quarterly to give an idea. Again, credit risk is obviously the biggest problem here for these sorts of things about why they get this cheap, why their stock goes almost to zero. Mm-hmm. So like you said, they went public with uh, net cash of, you know, of the spinoff and stuff. They had net cash at the time of like almost, uh, you know, like what is that? 70 million or something net cash here. probably. Yeah. yeah. And then that shifted to a position where their net debt, 180 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they had significant losses during that period, obviously. So um, they did acquisitions 
and they borrowed a lot of money to do it. Now, if we look at the cash flow, this is the other problem. Just no, uh, that's the quarterly numbers, yeah. yeah. Right, but yeah, if we look at annual, we could see that too. There's just like no cash flow from operations generation relative to the debt situation that they have. So the number on average, I mean, you know, peak numbers, they're at, you know, what, three times or so. Um, I'd say their their debt's at like three times or something, their peak cash flow from operations, but that was maybe a record year for an energy business like that. Um, but the bigger thing is they're, they have to do CapEx in, in, in a business mm-hmm. like this. And so if it wasn't, if they had like no CapEx needs, then maybe it would be manageable to have that kind of debt situation um, versus their cash flow from operations. But it certainly isn't if you have to buy stuff. Would it worry you if a management, and I think they, the management had a pretty good reputation, right? Yeah. With the old company, but it was a completely different business than energy services. Was that, is that something that would ever worry you? Them going into a new industry? You know, um, they didn't make all their money in energy services. What worried me about this one is that it all happened during the energy boom, basically. So this whole mm. company was created, I think, from... Was it like 2013 on? Yeah, it didn't like really that. predate 2013 by yeah. much, if my memory is right. It was a new business. So, and it did, did a huge amount of acquisitions in a short period of time. Yeah. So that's what would worry me. Now, uh, if the management team had done that previously in the same industry and then like start a new company or something to redo the same strategy they'd used before, which I've invested in something like that, um, then I could see that. But yeah, and it's too cyclical in industry. Mm-hmm. That's the other part of it. If they were doing this in like radio or something, that's much more predictable, you know, like what Intercom was doing, than it is in um, in a business that's so cyclical. This is even more cyclical in many ways. This is even riskier in many ways than actually producing natural gas or something yourself when you're providing um, services, equipment, things like that. You're th- those are kind of riskier and cyclically. Um, certainly they are from a credit perspective. There's no doubt about that. So if you want to think of it as buying into these stocks, thinking, okay, well, how safe am I? In a sense, as a stockholder, your downside risk is similar to what if I was a bank lending to them? And I can tell you that banks, in terms of where they take their losses and stuff and energy stuff, is going to be in energy services and things like that, Mm -hmm. distributors to energy companies and things like that, stuff that has these high fixed costs and then runs into problems and the stuff that you immediately stop doing, Mm -hmm. um, like well completions and stuff like that as opposed to something that's a producing well, um, which tends to have much lower losses than people would expect. Like the fact that that oil goes from $100 a barrel to $20 a barrel or something is causes fewer losses in, to banks lending against a well than you might expect. But it can, if it's maintained for any period of time, completely wipe out companies that provide like oil field services and things like that, um, just because of how the asset works. So if you were going to buy something because you want to rebound in um, natural gas or oil or something like that, it usually makes sense to buy something that owns the actual um, mineral reserves and will recover to a price of recovery from that more so than betting on something that's a services company. Got it. What else we got? I mean, if you're right, it makes more sense to bet on the services company, but the chances they'll end up in bankruptcy is high. Um, So we can take tailored brands next. TLDR, right? Uh, no, they, no, they're bankrupt, so they don't have a... Um, their ticker has been switched, so I don't think it'll show up. Oh, okay, that's, that's uh, not it. You know, it's, it is it is TLRD. Uh, let's see. T- no. There was another okay. one. Hold on. It's the U.S. one. It's the yeah, one that yeah that's what I'm trying to get. But it's no longer an active ticker. Got it. So this is wrong. It's not TLRD. Um, is it but you TLRDQ? Can type in, <laughs> yeah, you can type in tailored brands here and it will show up on OTC markets. It might not show up for people in other... There we are. Yeah. yeah. This ticker may not work for you in other um, 
things other than OTC markets. I don't know that they're going to give you a stock chart. Well, yes, they will. So it carried over. So you have a, obviously it's a complete loss. Um, it's in bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter where it started. Have you ever purchased a company in bankruptcy? No. Got it. So, so what do they do? So Taylor Brands is a uh, men's warehouse and uh, Joseph A. Banks. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought about writing this company up, and Quan and I did a lot of research on it uh, when it was men's warehouse. And then it got complicated because men's warehouse got rid of its founder and stuff. And then uh, Joseph A. Bank and men's warehouse were each trying to buy each other and arguing about it and stuff. And that's the point at which we decided um, not to write it up or anything and didn't like how much they were doing in terms of debt and stuff like that and take overreaching to do this acquisition and all those sorts of things. But we did like it, the possibility of, um, looking into it many years ago, you know, would it would have been five years ago or something when all this was happening, all this. So it was just before all that drama happened, mm-hmm. they had already gotten rid of their founder, but they hadn't yet had this fight over control of the company between the two, each trying to buy them out. At one point there was a proposal from each company to buy the other. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What happened? I mean, cause if you think about like the industry, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, men's warehouse, when I think, you know, I, I need a tux or right. something like that, it's either men's warehouse or uh, Joseph A. Bank. Yep. So that would seem to make a lot of sense. Um, the We can look again at things like the balance sheet and stuff like that. So they obviously the immediate cause that they would say for these things would be COVID. Right, mm-hmm. so that shut it down and all those sorts of things. Um, the other issue, I think there may, there may have been some issues um, putting the two together. So the the marketing plan from Joseph A. Bank was very different, and they probably thought that they could stop doing the you know buy two get two free you know buy this you know every week and things that was the strategy for them, mm-hmm. and that may have been part of the problem too. Uh, you know that honestly that's a big reason why Quan and I decided not to follow looking into it anymore when they were going to put the two companies together is we didn't think that the two companies kind of fit together right. Um, but if, so if we go to quick FS, we can look at like their credit situation and all of that kind of thing. So look at the balance sheet and see what the situation was going into this. So obviously when they did the acquisition, they, um, and remember this is complicated because of course they put the two companies together and all that. So yeah. the, the, it's going to cause some complicated accounting. seems like the bankers are the only one that made out of this, huh? That the bankers made out yeah, of this? Yeah, and they got paid their fees. This company's oh, in bankruptcy. They're the <laughs> you know, ones that made money on this. I don't know if they'll be collecting on their loans. Because uh-huh. um, these That's guys true. have landlords. Um, so I don't know how much, you know, and they have trade. Like, for instance, let's see here. Yeah, like, uh, here we go. We can look at this just from a bankruptcy perspective because you said that. If we go to the quarterly filing of who would get paid and stuff. So they had some cash on hand mm-hmm. in April, right? But then they also had some other issues. They had short-term debt of 1.4 billion Jeez. they had capital leases now the capital leases they won't i'm assuming those are all like stores and things in bankruptcy and stuff they're only going to get a very small portion of that it's not like they're gonna get paid all of that off but they'll get several months or something possibly i mean i don't know about this specific bankruptcy but you could get a few months mm-hmm. and then um so you have landlords who have to get paid you also have to pay all of your um there's not a lot there there uh yeah your accounts payable are way in front of everybody else so obviously you have to pay for the stuff that you've bought before we get down to banks and things like that making money. Um, but in a COVID world, you know, a, a post-COVID world or whatever, the store is being open now. Mm. Um, they have enough inventory and stuff that they can pay that stuff. So if you look at them from a liquidation perspective, they have enough um, cash and inventories and stuff to 
make good for all of those sorts of people. It's the bankers that they don't have enough for. Um, in fact, if you look, the kind of looks like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it kind of looks like there's, you can pay off if, if, if you imagine that the bankers were last in line and the least thing isn't really correct that way, but if you, that just banks were last in line, you can pay everybody else off except the banks. What's left, the hole that you have is all the bank stuff. Now they have, like they, they say PP and E and all that, but let's go to the cash flow statement. So one example from that is just like from retailers, not a lot left over when there is a bankruptcy or something of a retailer, there just isn't a lot mm-hmm. that you can make from that. So here we go. So you have the cash flow from operations, which was generally strongly positive for a while there. Um, the change in working capital was a big problem in 2020, or I shouldn't say a big problem, but that's a sign that you're about to head into bankruptcy, usually. Not exactly, but it, it can be a sign. So some people notice that free cash flow actually gets better and things like that the, right before you head into bankruptcy because you try to um, improve your cash position. And Liquidate. Stuff. Yeah. So what happens is that you suddenly see cash flow from operations spike higher versus things like EBITDA because EBITDA doesn't take into account the change in working capital. So what we've highlighted here, just so people know, is like EBITDA actually decreased right between 2019 and 2020. You had a decrease in EBITDA, or 2018, 2019, 2020. 2018 and 2019, your EBITDA would have been pretty similar, close to 200 million. And then in 2020, it declined significantly mm-hmm. um, so that you're at EBITDA like 20 million. But suddenly, instead of your normal working capital things where you have been increasing working capital, 80, 20, whatever, positive increases in working capital each year, you now suddenly have this huge shift down in working capital, which basically means you're liquidating. And that's what was happening. Yeah. So they did generate some cash flow from operations and stuff, paid some bills probably, some, you know, I don't know the details of what came due and stuff, but they were probably able to pay some people more than they otherwise would have as they headed into bankruptcy, basically. Um, Again, so let's look at record cash flow from operations. They set a record according to this in 2018 at 350 million. Given the amount they borrowed, and then there's also leases and stuff, I'd say you're at least five times your cash flow from operations. So again, it's just, that's so much. In what world do they think that like, that would be okay? Well, I mean, like from their yeah. perspective, I mean, what are they thinking? You know, is it you'll just refinance or you'll be able to, mm-hmm. you know, your cash flows will just greatly go up. I mean, don't they yes. model this out of? Yes, they model. Of out course they do. EBITDA. I know. <laughs> yeah, I've sure. never seen them model out decreasing EBITDA in a, in, when they borrow yeah, money. Sure. I've never seen a company say, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to be able Adjust to pay your down. bonds while yeah. we're having EBITDA slightly lower all the time. <laughs> um, even though that could be the case sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you know, you ha- build enough of a margin of safety, but I never see that. That anyone said, I mean, you know, um, they're not borrowing and stuff, but I mean, like, even if we were seeing something like a NACO thing or something, something in, in that industry, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised. I've seen things in the Met coal industry, for instance, and, you know, they model out what the pricing will be. And mm-hmm. it's amazing. They never model out that their commodity will decline 50%, but they do model out that it'll go up 100%. And then you will easily get paid, you know, mm-hmm. if that happens. So here, um, let's see. So if we go to the income statement, let's take a look here. You had, um, you know, a successful retail operation here that was doing, let's see. I mean, still, I don't honestly get it. <laughs> um, the amount of debt that they, I mean, there's a reason why we didn't write up this company and stuff. That what they did, we chose 
to kill the idea. Uh-huh. So Quan and I were interested in a men's warehouse. Then once there started to be talk about the terms that the two would merge on and the debt involved, we said, absolutely not. We won't look at this ever again. And then it ended up in bankruptcy five years later or whatever. So obviously we saw something that worried us enough. That didn't mean we were like, oh, this is a bad stock or something. Yeah. But we wouldn't touch it after that. And, you know, and actually that's similar to like KLXE. After they did their first deal where they raised um, a high yield debt um, to buy another company in the industry, that, that was one we're not going to look at again. Mm-hmm. Okay, we could do Garrett Motion. This is a weird one. Very weird one. So this was written up on Focus Compounding, but again, not by me. I read it up and then didn't, uh, and we can look at the OTC Markets chart too because it'll have it there. Again, it'll be under a different ticker now that it is, yeah, GTXMQ, yeah. So this is in bankruptcy. So again, your loss here would be 100% really. These stocks do have slightly positive values. Like Jared Motion is at $1.76 a share. Um, when in reality, presumably the equity would be worthless. Mm-hmm. We don't know that for a fact, um, but I'm assuming. So what was the situation here? Spin-off? So the situation here was interesting. A company called Honeywell did two spinoffs. And they spun off a ton of liabilities with both of them, Residio and Garrett Motion. Mm-hmm. I like Residio a lot better. Um, but in both cases, they overburdened them with a ton of liability structured in a very weird way. So these are liabilities that had to do with either stuff like asbestos stuff or like um, just environmental cleanup generally. So just think of it that way. Um, the structure was also very weird in that over time, if these liabilities go down, the company would automatically have, the spun-off company would automatically have increasing earnings because the actual liabilities weren't, um, how did I put this? In a sense, the actual liabilities weren't completely spun off from Honeywell. And this is the thing that kind of worries me about it and the structure of it and whatever. I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's like from Honeywell's perspective and stuff, it could be kind of misleading to your investors and stuff. Because in reality, Honeywell is getting paid as long as a, they're getting, so like Residio and Garrett Motion have to pay Honeywell certain things to cover stuff that has to do with liabilities. But that isn't quite the same thing as spinning off the liabilities to them, okay? Because there's a certain cap at which they wouldn't be liable for Mm -hmm. that. So like when I gave the example of Residio, Residio, let's say, could have to pay $200 million or something, okay? But if they're already paying $200 million, my point was, over time, they can only pay less because Honeywell has to pay the difference. So there's like a cap that they can't go above. So I didn't love this from the Honeywell perspective because I feel like it's kind of telling your shareholders, we're spinning off these two things, Garrett Motion and and, um, Residio, and that's getting rid of our liabilities. When really we're spinning something off and getting a promise from them that they'll pay these things Mm -hmm. up to a certain point, Mm -hmm. right? But then, like, are they safe? Garrett's now headed into bankruptcy. I mean, it actually filed, I believe, now, right? Yeah, it filed. So, you know, that's a problem. Um, Seems like a lot of spinoffs we've looked at are just not not even ones we've just looked at, just in general. They all spin off with a lot of debt. Yep. Yeah. I mean, KLXE didn't, but then it immediately put it on. Um, Garrett Motion and Residio both have the problem, too. If we, we could look at Residio, too. They put on a significant amount of actual debt. What you were highlighting there is debt. That's not the environmental liabilities. Wow. So um, they, I believe they both targeted like three times debt to EBITDA. I'd have to check. That's what almost all spinoffs seem to target now. Um, yeah. So you can see that like there's Residio. Yeah. There's their long-term debt. That's and short-term. then if we look, I don't know where it would show up, but we can look in things like income statement and cash flow. Why Residio is kind of interesting, I have to say. 
is that it is this weird structure where the debt is much higher than you might think in a sense because you have fixed charges associated with these um, payments to Honeywell. So if you look, like here it might just be capturing total operating expenses, mm -hmm. let's say, okay? So yeah. let's say that hypothetically, um, if QuickFS is doing it this way, it show yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. So it's saying like they have $258 million in operating profit in 2019. Well, in reality, they might have more like $450 million, mm -hmm. but they're paying $200 million to Honeywell. Sure. But there will come a day, I don't know when, when whatever legacy liabilities you have don't require any payments on them. Mm -hmm. So it could be 100 years from now, in which it's not significant. But if it's 10 years from now, your earnings per share will go up quite a bit. Yeah, dramatically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So if we look at like, yeah, let's look at cash flow from operations and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So again, you see the same pattern that we've had before, which is very low cash flow from operations relative to your debt, which seems to be the biggest cause mm -hmm. of these sorts of things. They issued it all having to do with the spinoff, which you can see they did like 1.3 billion in debt or something like that. At the time, that's three times cash flow from operations, a little bit less. That's manageable, right? But then Residio also had this environmental item. It's like an off-balance sheet yeah. item. So let's go to Garrett Motion and look at the same thing. I believe they did the same sort of thing which is targeting about three times. Yeah, so let's see. Their record was at a 370 or so. They did 1.4, so a little bit higher. But um, same sort of deal. They did between three and four times their cash flow from operations and debt. So not as high as some of the others we saw. We said Intercom was, what, 10 times? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Galaxy was five times, five but they six, had a lot yeah. of CapEx, yeah. whereas Intercom has like no CapEx. So the actual difference may have been like nothing. Like Intercom might even be safer than KLXE in some ways. Um, and then we have the same thing where there's a lot of debt versus a small amount of the cash flow from operations. And then we look, there's a deterioration in the cash flow from operations. To be fair to them, all these companies, they didn't know that COVID was going to happen and stuff. Sure. Mm -hmm. So something happened that you could blame. And in a sense, many companies do. They say like, you know, like I was sent you something about Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, you know, COVID. The story is that COVID put Chuck E. Cheese down. But if you look at the private equity thing. Yeah, they don't I, like to talk about well, the years I, leading up to it. I remember what it was as a public company and what the private equity company said that they borrowed and um, paid out and stuff. The amount of debt on the company at the time we filed for bankruptcy was significantly more than the entire value of it as a public company previously. Mm -hmm. And so what had happened is that, you know, they managed to put more debt on it than the entire, than it would have cost to acquire the entire company at one point. So, you know, that if the company had just stayed public and bought back its stock with all of its free cash flow, it would still exist to this day. That's what it was form. doing too, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it was just buying back mm -hmm. instead of, you know, trying to do an LBO thing. So this is, that's what happened. An LBO that turned into a disaster. Of course, I'm sure people, there was things that were done wrong at Chuck E. Cheese and mishandled societal trends went against them and then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. But when people say that's what killed them, yeah. it killed it's them the because they put in not all of it, a billion dollars of debt or whatever, yeah. you know, um, if, if you have no debt, your free cash flow can drop to almost nothing. Some of these companies were, as we could see, we're generating some cash flow right up until the last moment. Yeah, uh -huh. But even if you're generating some cash flow, if you have 15 times more debt than you have cash flow this year, then you've got, you know, you've got to do something about it. What do they say about bankruptcy? How do you go bankrupt? You say gradually and then suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and they're, and they're now they don't all end this way. So we could look at uh, Luby's LUB because they decide to liquidate. And my view is they decide to liquidate because they were told you're going to go bankrupt. 
Um, that's my view of it. I read the proxy statement, the background to the deal and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's my my view. So we could look at this, that they were told, so you say gradually and suddenly. Yeah. I think they were told, you're going to gradually go bankrupt, so you should suddenly liquidate, and it'll be much better for you. And so there's a potential here for this to be a very valuable thing. So let's go to OTC Markets to show people. Um, this is one you could participate in if you want to, because there's tons of volume. Um, it's a liquidation. It's at $2.40 a share. I did think it was interesting because we just did a liquidation video yeah. or you were talking about it and then this comes out. I was like, hey. Yeah. So the company expects, it says it's a special committee put out a thing saying it expects between 3 and $4 a share. But if you read the proxy statement closely, their advisors told them a lot more than that. A lot more. So more like 4 to 5 or 4 to 5.50, something like that, if you read the proxy statement. The special committee decided not to put that out. So they looked at it, thought about it, and said, picked a number. And it's funny because they kind of just like, they rounded the number and stuff, but they mm-hmm. were kind of like, we want to go with a lower number. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a liability, uh, personal liability thing. I don't know that they have, you know, directors and, and officer insurance and stuff. But um, <laughs> they actually mentioned the proxy. That's one of the important things about it. But anyway, um, they, they, about their, they mentioned quite a lot about the liability that they would have in liquidations and stuff and why they picked what they did. So... You can see tons of losses in the company for a while. So retained earnings is a good way to see this. The retained earnings had peaked at like 147 million, meaning that historically the company had actually made a lot of money. Yeah. And then it goes down by about 80 million over time, 80 to 90 million over time in a short period of years. We know about these locations. They're all around Texas and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're obviously worth potentially a lot more than the company sells at. That's not, I would say that's not in dispute. Um, Whether you can sell them all as a group during COVID and stuff is a whole other story. But these are very big locations, huge. So these cafeterias in Texas, they're mainly Texas and stuff, are in pretty high traffic areas. They have tons of parking around them and stuff. And they are just very big in terms of the number of seats and stuff. So they could be repurposed into other stuff. Of course... A lot of things around them are vacant right now mm-hmm. because of COVID. So, and they have a lot of locations they have to sell. They have to sell like seventy probably to get a meaningful amount. Um, uh, to get like eighty or ninety percent of their value is probably in like seventy uh, locations. Uh, sometimes there are multiple things there. So, in a situation like this, is it like they just start to, you know, parcel it off one by one, and then well, that the was some of the things the special work? committee talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, no. So they're going to get an order from the um, judge in Delaware who's going to basically give them permission. He's going to kind of pre-approve it to protect them in terms of their liability and stuff. He's going to pre-approve an amount of like how much he thinks they need to keep in reserve to mm-hmm. meet their liabilities over time and then and claims that might arise and stuff like that. And then they'll be allowed to pay out over that. So one th- warning that I have to people is that the kind of schedule plan for this right now is I'd say it's going to be one to two years before they get that order. They say that in the practice statement, it'll be one to two years. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this company will pay out a dime until they get that order got it they could they yeah. said we reserve the right to do it but i don't believe that they will so that means you won't be getting any payments for one to two years and then you'll get payments over a period of time there is like a requirement that um generally you have to liquidate in like three years from the time this clock starts ticking and stuff so you can extend it and whatever but i would say i did an estimate of like okay say it takes three years or something you know and what would that be even if you hit the bottom end of this return range um, of the three to four dollars, not like the five dollars or something that the special committee was told was the high end of the range, you're still hitting a number that's like even if it takes three years, you get paid everything at the end of that period and stuff. It's still about a ten percent return. Got it. It's more like twenty percent or something if it happens more than that. But if we look here, if you could see, we can see what I mean about why I thought they were going bankrupt, um, and that uh, that's what I honestly think. So if you look, you go to the uh, cash flow statement. We'll start there. So. You can see major deterioration in cash flow from operations. So this is the difference between what it looks like. This company 
if it was structured like the other companies we looked at, would be long ago bankrupt. The difference here is they owned their properties mm -hmm. and they didn't have a ton of debt and stuff. Um, so because of that, th these other companies we saw didn't even go cash flow negative, and yet they're saying we need to file for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. This company has been negative for several years going into COVID and still is in a position where they can liquidate and pay back shareholders and stuff. And the reason for that is because they had a lot of uh, money put into the business versus a small amount of debt that they had. And so you can then go cash flow negative on that basis. Now, I'm kind of curious, because the assets are in real estate, yeah. does that change things for you? It's not like they're liquidating a stock portfolio, a Sanborn map and paying it out to Yes, you know, it does severely. So I'm very worried about this as a liquidation. I think it's the assets are signif worth significantly more than the stock trades at, and it's going to be a risky and tough liquidation. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those Because things. of the nature of their assets? I read the proxy statement and everything, and it concerned me a lot. So they, they say straight up, we have no access to capital. Okay? Um, they're borrowing from like a, a credit investor kind of thing at like a 12% interest rate. And remember, they don't pay taxes because they have NOLs. So mm -hmm. that means on a tax equivalent basis, they're paying even more. Yeah. So, so um, this is the same as if some taxable one was paying 15% or something. So they have that. They paid several percent in like fees associated with that and all those sorts of things. It's a very complicated loan in terms of how well it protects the investor. And um, they will do fine. They will get out of this very well, I think, because they'll get the first proceeds from the sales and, and those sorts of things. They're not allowed to like sell things down and, and, and stuff like that um, without paying them first. But um, if we look, so I just think that from everything I read about the proxy statement, the background to the, the decision to liquidate and all that struck me as very different from what happened at, like we've mentioned before, Paradise or Vulcan or mm -hmm. things like that. This is totally different. Well, Vulcan, yeah, they had a, a portfolio, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and their same store sales has been declining dramatically here at all their concepts, like really bad. Good old cheeseburger in Paradise. So they closed all of them. I know. Yeah, so they had seven. I had one growing up, ago. and they closed it. Yeah. So they had those. If, um, I used to like their milkshakes. I think they had like Oreo milk, yeah. milkshakes. Yeah. So they're they are, and then they have Fuddruckers, which they also mm -hmm. franchise, and the number of franchisees ones were dropping. So mm -hmm. I noticed that because I had read about the franchisee ones, and I was like, oh, it like kind of is stable or whatever. But what was happening is the company was turning over company-owned ones to franchisees, which were offsetting the the drop in the actual franchise ones going down. Nice. So um, they have some cash flows from that, though. Yeah. So when you net that out against it, so actually they, they have two businesses. There's like a cafeteria business, which mostly provides, I think, nursing homes. Um, and then uh, in addition to that, they have one that is the franchising of the Fuddruckers. And I think they have good franchisee par partners. Like the, the partners, I think, are really good. They are really big, and they've probably been around for a longer time and stuff. So I think it's probably the, the concept that's the problem. Um, so those two, you're getting some off of that. So mm -hmm. like they have like 70% EBITDA margins or whatever you'd expect in a franchising operation and from that. And then they also have the um, some coming in off of other stuff. So the cash flows you're seeing here are much worse in terms of the core company-owned restaurant operations than it appears. Um, so to give you an idea of how negative they are, the net income in 2019 was, so this is before this year, uh, and so, yeah, let's see. So 2017, 2018, and 2019, it was flat or down in terms of EBITDA. So there was actually, well, I would say, an EBITDA loss, mm -hmm. right? So an EBITDA you know, loss or effectively nothing, which is incredible and hard to do in like a restaurant business and stay around for long. But it's because they had built up so much in their assets over time and stuff. So if we go to the balance sheet, we could see that. 
you can see that they had been increasing property planning equipment. The other thing that said they were expecting to go bankrupt soon and stuff was so if you notice property planning equipment has dropped dramatically which mm-hmm. is very weird so from tw- so it peaked in what 2013 20 2014 yep okay so it peaked in 2014 and then it's down by a huge amount since then that's closing things and selling them off asset sales have been funding some of their stuff it's also they've reduced their capex dramatically so my guess is last year and this year they're planning on doing the absolute minimum amount of maintenance on their locations mm-hmm. just to keep them in shape that you could sell them and stuff like that. So they've basically stopped investing in the business that way. But what I think, why I wanted to talk about this company, not just that it's a liquidation situation people could look into and whatever, is to give them two ideas about it, which is, or, or three things. One, this pattern that we're seeing here is what it looks like when a company is about to go bankrupt. Except there's a liquidation here where the assets are worth a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying this, co- this company's not going to go bankrupt. That's not what's probably going to happen here. What's probably going to happen is they're going to be able to pay out to people and stuff. But the fact that they're in a position where they have poor access to capital and are burning cash and all that, I mean, I, I looked and I wouldn't be surprised if they're burning a million a month or something that they would have those problems even before you get to paying for the loans that they have and everything or the CapEx. Um, and then you have the issue here of how did they survive this long? How is it that we've looked at two companies just now, Garrett Motion and Taylor Brands, yeah. which basically went bankrupt like with no warning in the sense that they were generating negative cash flow for a full year or something. Like mm-hmm. COVID happened and they were gone. Yeah. Um, this company for half a decade now has basically failed to produce an EBITDA. And not only is it still around, but it's actually saying our uh, their financial advisors told them like you could liquidate for a huge gain over what you're at. To give an idea here, if you go back to the chart, this is the really important one. Go back to the OTC chart. Go long-term. Go back a year so people can see this. One year? Year to date, yeah. Or one year is fine. There. So they're low that they hit. So COVID happened, right? Mm-hmm. So COVID happens when the stock's at like 240. It drops. There's a moment where you can buy it at like 60 cents, right? Mm-hmm. They're at that t- around that time, they're, or I should say last year into this year and stuff, they've been planning things. Their financial advisors are telling them your stock might be worth like $4 to $5.50 if we just liquidate it. Yeah. So here's something that's selling at, you know, up less than 25 cents on the dollar of what your financial advisors are telling you privately at the same time, like already telling the board and stuff might be how you much you could liquidate. For. Mm-hmm. So that's the, like the difference in terms of, if you look at these companies about what, the upside potential is in if you have that much room to operate. So they had a ton of asset value to operate with. And so if you see that there, you know, and the reason for that is that historically over time they made a lot of money and they just didn't have that much debt compared to it. If we go to the quick FS thing, go to the balance sheet. So on the balance sheet, you have their short-term debt, you have their long-term debt, right? Yep. So if we add them up together, the they peaked at, uh, well, I just have long-term debt, actually. So their peak is the same as about now, mm-hmm. right? So they only borrowed about $40 million or so, dollars, right? That was their net borrowings mm-hmm. at any point, because their cash was almost nothing. Now, that's a mistake that they made. They needed to have more cash on hand and stuff, and they never did. But... That means that they've only borrowed about 25% or so of like the book value of their property planning equipment. And this company has been around a long time. So their property planning equipment is like here we see PP&E at 120 million. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it sells for 175 to 200 million or something. Now there'll be like costs associated with it and stuff. But on average, they have 70 million lo- of 70. They have like 70 locations on which I wouldn't be surprised if they make a profit of at least 500,000 per location above book value, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not even the market value. So what they were loaned 
is like, like I said, 25, 30% or something of the, of your property. So it's really low. And that was why they will do that. All the other companies we looked at, right? If you notice, Entercom, KLXE, Taylor Brands, right? Mm-hmm. And Garrett Motion, okay? None of them had any assets mm-hmm. that you could sell off to match off with debt. All they had is the cash flows from their business. So as soon as the cash flows from the business turned negative, they were ruined by it. Mm-hmm. Whereas here you have a company that built up assets over time, so they had a position where you could sell it off, you could buy time for yourself and stuff like that. So it just shows you the dangers of borrowing a lot of debt versus your cash flows or your, your assets. So to be fair, here's a company that had poor cash flows for a long time. So some people could have said they're in a terrible debt position. But on the other hand, they're... Um, asset coverage was really high, and in fact, the way they were uh, they loaned they were the way they borrowed money is with an asset coverage um, uh, covenant. So, and they mentioned that. So, like the actual value of their assets, they did an appraisal for it and stuff. Their value of their assets was over four times um, the amount they were borrowing. So that's how they felt safe by it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, they're making twelve percent loans, so it's you know. So then, in this situation, I mean, what would your concerns be, or what if you were going to invest? Like, what boxes need to be checked for you to get comfortable with it? Yeah. So my big concerns here are access to capital. Mm-hmm. So you could just see that. So, twenty fourteen, this company had two hundred thirteen million dollars in PP and E net. Today, they have one hundred twenty million. So. If this doesn't happen that fast, you may be having to sell off assets and stuff just to keep the lights on while you sell out of this business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we look in like like you know total assets basis and things like that are a way of doing. It. Or you could look at like shareholders equity as another example. Shareholders equity they had 177 million at the peak, and then five six years later they're down to 100 million. Mm-hmm. So 70 million dollars, you know. Um, on the amount of shares you have, it would have been a lot more if you liquidated five years ago or something. So that had to be paid off, that had to be um, sold off and stuff because of your problems with capital. I mentioned I invested one time, I've invested in liquidations before, that they've gone fine. One time where it didn't go fine is no access to capital. Now, between the time I bought in and the time the company ran into problems, there was the financial crisis, right? So at the time I bought in, it seemed to have access to capital, and then it failed to have access to capital after that, right? Um, here we know they have poor access to capital, and that's an issue. Um, and they don't really have cash flows coming off the business that are safe. So they're going to have to turn some stuff into cash just to get through this. Um, if we look at cash flow statement like quarterly, we could do, to give you some ideas. Now, of course, there's going to be, you're going to hit COVID there. But as you can see, actual cash flows from operations before uh, property planning and equipment spending, CapEx is basically negative all the time mm-hmm. now yeah. and has been throughout the last few years. So at this point, on a monthly basis, you're never generating actual cash flow. Like you might report an EBITDA, whatever, but that's not cash that can be used for anything. Yeah. So this company burns a little bit of cash all the time for the last three years. And they don't have a lot of cash either. They have no cash. <laughs> none. If we look, there's yeah, like, it's like what, one mil or a couple million? Yeah. So, I mean, well, now there's more because they've made some asset sales and stuff, right? Now they're at is the most recent quarterly one at like, yeah, 14 14, million or something. But that's, I believe that's from an asset sale. Yeah. They're brought assets down by a huge amount. So, um, or debt, net issuance of debt. 13 million. Well, yeah. uh, Yeah. I don't know why that's happening. Or there's this other two. I don't know. Well, no, they did do new debt, but it's to replace old debt. So they had debt from like Mm. a group of banks and they replaced it with an investor instead. Um, so I, that should be in their like short term debt 
or something. I don't understand why that it's is probably right there, showing like up here. It was 142 million. Now it's 122. The way they got the cash is by selling their private got equipment. It, yeah. the, the debt was to replace other debt, basically. Um, so they sold a lot of uh, their property over time. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that would worry me here is the ability to generate any sort of cash. That's the big problem. Yeah. Um, and without generating some cash, you need to find someone to lend to you and stuff to go through the liquidation. Um, hopefully they would be able to do that, but I don't know what that situation is. They had very bad terms from the most recent loan that they got. But in theory, that loan might have been, I don't know. The, the board would have known what they were do- thinking about doing. But it's possible that like, if they had said they were going to liquidate and then gone, to get financing, the financing would have been better. Certainly I would feel better lending to this company if they told me uh, we're going to use the proceeds from your loan, you'll be the first thing to come back out of it, your your loan will be the first paid out of the first buildings we sell. And so we're gonna start selling buildings, then we're gonna pay you back right away, and then we're gonna use the proceeds to liquidate, then I'd be like, oh, well I'll give it to you on much better terms. Mm -hmm. It's You know it's in for much shorter, and you know you're getting out faster, and you know they're not gonna burn so much cash and stuff. If I remember right, at the time they got the financing, they were considering strategic alternatives, at least internally. I don't know if they had that publicly announced, but I don't think that the lender would have known that they definitely were liquidating. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. We've been using QuickFS a lot in this batch of episodes. If you want to sign up, make sure you tell them you came from Focus Compounding. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up. We appreciate all of the support, and we will see you in the next podcast.